Let us pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and for this incredible and remarkable story uh, about this uh, man uh, who is on a search. And so, Lord, uh, those who are searching for you, Lord, that they might find you. In your name we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 8, beginning with the 26th verse. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began, and beginning with the scripture, this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along, going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Well, this is a crazy story on a whole bunch of levels, and, uh, and it's fine toward the end to ask all kinds of crazy questions about it. Uh, but suffice to say is that, one, you have an angel of the Lord, a messenger of God, uh, coming in and intervening directly into the life of Philip and saying, rise and go down south to a road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then Luke tells us that this is a desert place, as if most of us who watch the news don't know that. It's a really remarkable thing about if you've ever been to Israel. So if you go up to like um, up past uh, Caesarea Maritina and in that area, uh, it's it's very nice and there are orange uh, orchards and things like that. And the irrigation looks right nice and it's right on the Mediterranean. And even though Jerusalem is a little bit uh, stark, um, you know, they call Jerusalem, Jerusalem the golden because the stone that's cut from there when the sun hits it, especially at dusk, it's a really, really beautiful, beautiful place. And uh, even as you head into the Judean wilderness, uh, there's a rugged beauty uh, about it, even though it's a pretty fierce place. Uh, but Gaza, there's nothing in Gaza. I mean, that's what makes the... Israel especially so remarkable is one, it's uh, really the only place in the Middle East that has no oil, uh, and yet they fight over it all the time. And two, uh, if you were looking at a place like Israel, which is really not all that desirable, after all, when anybody would, the reason why Israel was conquered so much was not because they wanted Israel and its vast resources, uh, but because Israel was on the way. 
right? Well, we're going down to Egypt. We might as well take Israel on the way. Or, you know, they're a little bit of a thorn in the side. Let's go ahead and take them out while we're going to thus and such place. So it was really a crossroads. But if you're looking at Israel and you're like, well, I wouldn't mind having this part of Israel. But if you look at Israel and you think the place that you really probably would, the place that would be at the bottom of the list would be Gaza. And yet again, that's one of the most hotly contested areas of uh, that area uh, right now. And so there's nothing there. It is a desert place. It's a desert place. And so when the Lord says uh, through uh, an angel to Philip, uh, an angel just means messenger, uh, go down uh, to Gaza, uh, what's Philip's human initial response going to be? Yeah, it's, you know, why don't you call me to Boca? You know, why don't you say there's going to be this guy uh, on Cable Beach outside of Nassau, uh, and you need to talk to him there. But often uh, where, uh, where God calls us uh, is the least likely of places. And not only that, um, but what we see in the life of this Ethiopian eunuch is the very last place that he expected to encounter Jesus is in a desert place. I spend most of my life avoiding desert places. I mean, however you want to look at that in your own life. But most of us don't look forward to those places in our lives where we think, I just can't wait to get to this place in my life that is deserted, (laughs) that is a desert place, that is stark, uh, that is uncomfortable. None of us look forward to those places. And yet, what we find in Scripture time and time again is that those are the places where the Lord tends to show up. And so when you're in those places, like the valley of the shadow of death, uh, you think... Uh, This is not where God is. At least that's what it feels like. This is not where God is. And yet, God seems to be most present in those places in our life when we feel like he should be the farthest away. There's a wonderful passage from Isaiah where uh, it talks about uh, you're going to go, uh, you're going to go through valleys, but the water, when the storms rage, the waters will not overwhelm you. And you are going to walk through fire, but you will not be burned, for the Lord goes with you. Now, a lot of us look at those verses and say, well, that, that makes me feel better. But if you look at it a little more closely, uh, what does the Lord promise us? Yes, that we won't be overwhelmed by the rising waters, and that we won't be burned by the fire. But it also promises us, you're going to go through floods, <laughs> and you're going to go through fire. But do not fear, for I and with you. And this guy, this Ethiopian eunuch, what are we to make of him? Uh, he's unlike anything that we've really seen in the scriptures. And yet, we've encountered eunuchs before in the Old Testament. And basically, the understanding is that uh, a eunuch is, is a man who has been castrated for various reasons. I don't know if you know this, but that still happens today in the world. That this is still a practice. Um, <clears throat> and not as a punishment, necessarily. Uh, the Hebrew tradition, there is no tradition of, of eunuchs. There are no eunuchs that, 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 are, that are Hebrew. It was not a tradition. Uh, and yet it was a tradition elsewhere, especially in North Africa. And what would happen is normally you would have uh, uh, someone who was a court official like this guy who had dealings uh, with the king and his intimates. And needless to say that when uh, you undergo the procedure to become a eunuch, um, you're not as driven uh, to do certain things. And, um, and so especially if you're interacting with the king's harem or whoever it might be uh, with a wife, um, 
you know, you don't, you don't feel so bad that a eunuch is driving your wife around. Like, you don't have to worry about that. And so that was the case. And yet, also in the Old Testament, we do find instances where the word eunuch is used for somebody who is not a traditional eunuch. So, for instance, Potiphar. Remember Joseph and his dreams? And, uh, and remember uh, Potiphar's wife? Man, she was something. Go read that. Uh, not to your kids at night, but go ahead and just go ahead and read that yourself. But Potiphar's wife was something. And so... Potiphar had a wife, and so there, that, that's not the traditional understanding of, of what a eunuch is. And indeed, the word that is often translated in the Old Testament as eunuch is a word, who would have thought we got so heady this morning, but it's a word that, that simply means court official. But let's just take it at face value and say that this is a guy who has undergone the procedure in order to become a eunuch. Okay. So there he is. He's in charge. He's the secretary of the treasury for the queen of the Ethiopians. So we know, or we can at least presume, that he is technically a eunuch, uh, that he is African. He's black. He's a black guy. And yet he's going to Jerusalem to do what? Worship. Well, what's that all about? Well, in Deuteronomy, eunuchs were not allowed to enter into the temple complex. They were not. Uh, And then there were two groups. So... Uh, we know that he's gone up there to worship, so that actually throws some confusion in there to say, okay, so wait a minute, maybe this guy is not your traditional eunuch because he's going up to Jerusalem to worship, then maybe maybe that just means court official. Honestly, that it doesn't necessarily make that much of a difference. But we know that he's one of two things. He's either a proselyte or he's a God-fearer, which we hear a lot about in the New Testament. Uh, proselytes were Gentiles, non-Jews, who converted to Judaism. Not just in heart, but physically as well. There's a whole group of people called God-fearers, and they were really into what Judaism taught, uh, but they really didn't want to go through the ritual procedures in order to become an official Jew. Not to be too graphic, but the, the issue was they didn't want to undergo circumcision because especially in the Greek world, they were like us. They went to the gym every single day, and they exercised without clothes on. And so there you are, and they're like, well... Shalom. You know, you've converted. (laughs) Mazel tov. So it's, um, uh, and so uh, these God-fearers were Jews, but they didn't follow, they they were Jewish in their understanding, or at least in their religion, that part of their life, but they weren't, they weren't following the law. I mean, they might have followed dietary laws, but they weren't willing to go all the way, to go all the way with it. So this eunuch is falling in one of those two categories. Uh, he's either a proselyte or a God-fearer. But either way, there's something in his life that compels him to go to Jerusalem right? from a long way away. Right? So the kingdom of Ethiopia was Ethiopia, what is now Sudan, and actually extended even up into the, um, into the, um, into the upper uh, Nile, uh, which is uh, actually one of uh, two rivers that predominantly uh, flow north in the world. What's the other one? No. The Shenandoah River. That's not fair because I grew up there. So um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so Roanoke, Virginia is the, is the upper valley, and then Winchester is the low. Anyway, uh, dork alert. So <laughs> this guy is a long way away, and he's traveling by chariot, which is not really all that comfortable. And uh, something we don't know, and... Uh, I don't want to read something that's not there, but clearly this is not on the heels of any sort of holy day, but something is, is, is moving him to go and worship in Jerusalem. 
I don't know if he's dealing with some sort of issue in his own life, and a friend is like, you know what, maybe you need to go see this guy. Go see this guy. And he goes and sees the guy. Well, that's not working. And, and we've all been there where in, in our life where we just want to get away. We've gone on some sort of pilgrimage. Um, remember Eat, Pray, Love? Uh, remember that book um, uh, where Julia Roberts in the movie went, went all over the world, uh, ate her way through uh, Italy and still looked amazing. And then um, the, the miracle of modern medicine. And then, uh, and then went uh, to uh, Tibet in order to pray and then found love in, in Southeast uh, Asia. And all of us, even though we haven't, I mean, you know, someone's like, well, that's kind of what I need to do. So I said, Let me, you'll feel okay in life if you're able to eat your way through uh, Italy, hang out in Tibet, and, uh, and have a romance in Southeast Asia. I'm pretty sure all of us would be doing okay if, if, if we had the opportunity to do that. But for some of us, there is this notion of like, I just need to get away. In fact, in my own life, I pretty much need an hour a day just to kind of <laughs> Block it out. I was so excited. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, kids are home from school. We had all this great family time, and then Friday morning, I, I got to get out of here. I'm kitted out, right? I gotta, you know, I gotta. I, I need some time away in order to just process and, and figure out what's going on and take some inventory in my life. And for some of us, it actually is a journey. You've got to go somewhere. You've got to go off and do it, and your heart is going to be restless. Until you do that. And so something propels this guy who's dealing with, I don't know what. It's not as if he says, you know, I've got some vacation coming to me. I'll just go up to Jerusalem. And he goes up to Jerusalem to worship. And on the way back, he's reading from Isaiah. And not just from Isaiah, but from a very specific passage from Isaiah. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, the reason why Philip knows this is because it was the tradition. It was to read it aloud. You didn't read it to yourself. You read from the scroll aloud. And Philip is walking alongside of him, which a um, little bit awkward, no, because where are they? Right? If you're walking down, you know, 20th Street and somebody's walking a couple feet behind you, you don't think anything of it. But if you're walking down 20th Street at 2 in the morning and someone's walking a couple feet behind you, what do you think? Creepy. Right? This is, this is creepy. Uh, and so the, the chariot's not hauling the mail. It's not going very fast. In fact, it's, it's probably more of a walk. So Philip, I mean, to make it more awkward, he's following, but he's probably got to walk a little bit faster than he normally would in order to keep up. And you're in the middle of nowhere. And so if I were the Ethiopian, I'd crack the whip. You know, I'm, I'm getting out of here. Next stop, uh, Cairo or wherever, he, uh, however he cut over. Uh, and yet... Uh, he doesn't. Uh, he's so immersed in what he's reading, it's as if he doesn't even uh, notice uh, Philip. And so uh, Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah. Uh, it's uh, Philip who says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch sort of looks, and there's this, there's this guy asking him the question. And he's so taken back that he gives a very honest answer. He says, well, how can I, unless somebody guides me, how can I understand what the prophet is saying unless someone tells me? Now, what he's reading from Isaiah is the suffering servant passages, which talk about Jesus. Something's going on in the eunuch's life that propels him to go all the way to Jerusalem for worship. And as he's leaving Jerusalem in the most desolate place, he's reading from the passage from Isaiah, which leads us to believe 
It didn't work. Whatever it was that he went seeking in Jerusalem, there's still a part of him that says, I still don't feel right. The question is still unanswered. I don't know, in the words of Craig Smalley, if it's going to be okay. And so he's going to a passage of scripture that talks about the one who will deliver the people from their sins. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he mentions not a word. Uh, Though your sins be like scarlet, he will make them as white as wool. Right. Is, is there one who is going to be able to take my life and, and make it right? Doesn't mean that I'm not going to struggle, but is there somebody who can actually deal with the guilt and the longing and even sometimes the aimlessness uh, in our lives? Looking at this guy in his own life, I mean, the eunuch thing aside, um, secretary of the treasury for a pretty significant kingdom. Right. That's that's something that you would like to say about your own kids. That's something that you'd like to say. Uh, uh, that, that's a, it's a good job. Right after he gets out of there, he can go into the public sector and lobby the Ethiopian parliament. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is. He'll, he'll probably be on a paid board somewhere. All right, this, is, this is somebody that everybody looks at and says, that's a pretty impressive, this is a high up guy. He's, he's impressive. He's arrived. He's got, it, he's got it all together. And yet in his own heart, he's like, it's, it's just barely holding on. It's just... It's just barely holding on. And if he literally is a eunuch, talk about an identity crisis. I mean, he couldn't be more out of place in Jerusalem. There goes an African eunuch. Right? That's just not something that you see every day uh, in, in Jerusalem. And in fact, as Deuteronomy says, if he really is a eunuch, uh, he would be excluded uh, from uh, the temple complex because of, uh, because of his physical state. And so it's there in the desert when he's thinking, you know, I know my friends meant well, but, uh, but it didn't work, and I'm just going to soldier on. Uh, but um, when he's reading this passage, the longing in his voice when he says to Philip, uh, how, can I, how can I understand this unless someone uh, guides me? And he invites Philip. Even I mean, Philip doesn't say, I can help with that. Or, or Philip doesn't say, well, you see, uh, but before Philip says anything, this guy is so desperate that he invites a total stranger into his chariot. Right? The secretary of the treasury of, of the kingdom of Ethiopia says, come, uh, which actually uh, that kingdom lasted a long time. Remember, uh, what's his name? Uh, Selassie. Right? right? He was a successor to, what's his name? You know, Bob Marley loved him. What was his name? Yeah, Holly Selassie, thank you, uh, descendant of Candace. So anyway, um, a great kingdom, and uh, the secretary of the treasury throws open the limousine doors and says, come in and tell me about this. Uh, I'm so, I'll, I'll, uh, anybody, somebody tell me about that. And then Philip opens his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he goes from there and he tells him the good news about, uh, about Jesus uh, at the time of the Reformation, when Martin Luther began to translate the Bible into German, uh, this was one thing uh, that would get him killed, right? That's really one of the big... I mean, he, people didn't like him for a number of reasons, but translating the New Testament into German, and even uh, people like John Wycliffe and William Tyndale, uh, they're uh, running away from England uh, to try to avoid punishment, which they didn't, uh, Tyndale anyway, uh, why was it so dangerous to translate the Bible into 
uh, a language that they could understand. Right? What's that? Right, so that's right. So uh, what we know this guy's educated. Why? Because he's reading Hebrew, and even most, a lot of the Jews. I wouldn't say most, but well, actually, that that wouldn't be uh, untrue. Uh, most of the Jews in Jerusalem weren't speaking Hebrew; they were speaking Aramaic. Um, and so uh, this guy reading uh, the Hebrew scriptures, he's an educated guy. But the great fear in um, in uh, at the time of the Reformation is that if people read the Bible, they might actually come to their own conclusions. And heaven forbid that happen, right? Because whose job was it to tell you what the Scripture said? The church, right? It was the church's job to interpret the Scriptures. And that's why some people will say, well, the tradition of the church, and still to this day, um, what the Roman Catholic Church has that uh, the Protestant Church doesn't have is a magisterium. And for some people, this is public knowledge, some of you all know Larry Gibson, the, the former dean of the Advent, uh, is now a Roman Catholic. And um, one of the things that Larry said about why he decided to, to convert to Roman Catholicism is he said because the Roman Catholic Church has a magisterial office, a teaching office that the Protestant Church doesn't have. And so in the Roman Catholic Church, um, they have a, a body embodied in the Pope that interprets the scriptures and say, this is what this means. This is the church's definitive interpretation. Take it or leave it. And for a lot of people, and even somebody like me, I'm pretty type A. Like, I want to know where I stand on things, and, and I just, just tell me what it means. Just tell me what, I'm like this uh, with this eunuch, just tell me what this means. And so even though I may not like it, at least I have some sort of definitive something to appeal to. So that's very understandable why Larry uh, would say something like that. But at the time of the Reformation, there was all this fear over people coming to their own conclusions. And that was, I mean, that was a problematic for, uh, for two. One is that there was a very low doctrine of the Holy Spirit, right? We understand from the New Testament that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, right? Which means that if you read the Bible and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you probably ought not to come up with a crazy idea. And yet sometimes you do. Right. I, I mean, I, I know that, that I do. I, I shudder to think some of the things that I thought Scripture taught uh, at various times in my life, which were clearly not in accordance with the whole breadth of, of Scripture. And normally I interpreted them in such a way that made me look pretty good. Um, and uh, for some reason, it didn't implicate me anything that, that, that I, I might have thought wrongly. And um, I'm not going to tell you what those things were, but... Uh, suffice it to say, uh, yes, there are times where we come to the wrong conclusion uh, about Scripture, uh, but there is a role of, of the church to hold up the truth of the doctrine that is taught in Scripture. And so if you do have a tradition of something like 2,000 years that says, well, the Bible says, uh, let's just take something very, uh, well, it's not trivial, but something that we can all agree on, I hope, uh, that if you're a Christian, you ought to be baptized. Right? Scripture... It's pretty clear about that. And I actually have encountered people who have said, well, you know, I'm, um, <laughs> I was talking to a guy one time. He grew up in the Episcopal Church, and he didn't know it, but his family just didn't baptize him. He was like the last child of six, and they were like, eh, whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and he was confused because his initials were still in the family christening gown. He goes, but he never used it for me. Like, well, I know, but we, you know, we just did it. Uh, so um, uh, he'd never been baptized. And I said, well, you know, you really ought to be baptized. He goes, 
I'm too old for that. And, uh, and I just started laughing about it. And I can understand why, because uh, we had somebody who I really, an adult, who wanted to be baptized. And I thought, this would be awesome to have them on All Saints Sunday to be baptized in the midst of the congregation, an adult believer, but taking the vows for themselves. Uh, and this person said, I feel a little bit uncomfortable about that. And I said, oh, you shouldn't be embarrassed. You know, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And then they said, well, who's going to carry me down the aisle and show? Uh, and I realized how right they were. I was like, okay, after the service, uh, we'll do a little uh, 1215 thing. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, our, we're all geared toward, uh, toward infant baptism, which is a right thing to do. But uh, very few of us would say, um, you ought... You know, you ought not to be baptized. And yet there are people in the church who um, who say, you know, I'm either too old for that or, you know, it doesn't make any difference at this point, uh, even though Scripture commands it. So, yes, we do get off track and we go astray on certain issues. Uh, and it is the church's job to bring them back in the line and say, in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, you you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. In fact, we've just added something. If you've ever looked at the front of the purple sheet, which is crazy. Uh, It's just so dense and trying to find stuff. And uh, one of the things that we have in there is it says, all baptized Christians are warmly invited to come forward and receive communion. And uh, and I realized, well, why don't we put, and we now have it there next to it, it says, if you've never been baptized, but you desire to be baptized, please see one of the clergy immediately following the service. And I've actually done that where someone says, you know, I've actually never been baptized. I've actually taken them and said, let's do it now. Like, but what about, I was like, you don't need to order pedophores. Let's go. Let's make this happen. Let's go. Um, like, I'll buy you lunch next week. Let's make, let's do it. Um, um, you don't need to have this big, big to do. I mean, it, it's, you have witnesses, but I mean, here, who's the, I mean, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, here he is. You know, there's enough. Water. And the funny thing is like, Philip is, I don't know whether he's being a chicken or what. And I know the feeling because there are times when you're in a conversation with someone, especially if you're talking about Jesus, where you really, you want to, you want to close the deal. You want to push it home and sort of say, okay, now it's in your lap. What are you going to do? But there's always a hesitate, not always, but with me, there's this hesitation toward the end. And Philip doesn't have to do it because it's the Ethiopian eunuch in the middle of the desert who finds a little bit of water and says, is that enough? <laughs> Philip, yeah. Oh, oh, okay. And so they, they, they go and, and baptize. The other thing about it, too, is that, um, you know, our hearts are not the ones that lead us into all truth. It's the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. It's he who's guiding us along the way. And so uh, it's right that that Philip uh, preaches to this guy and talks to him uh, about Jesus and declares uh, who he is, because uh, as uh, Jesus has said in John's gospel, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't come up with this on your own. It's an intervention from, and we talked about that, I guess, a, a two weeks ago, where God has intervened directly into the life of the believer and opened their eyes to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but the means by which that faith is confirmed is through the proclamation of the gospel. Somebody or something has declared to them, right? God has clearly been working in this guy's heart where he's looking for an answer. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He's just, he can't find it. He can't find it. He's gone up to Jerusalem and the sacrifices have been made. Even if he's not even allowed in the temple courts, there's still the day of atonement, uh, the holiest day in Judaism uh, where the sins of the nation are laid upon uh, the scapegoat and, and the blood is 
uh, is, is shed in the mer- they go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it over the mercy seat there at the Ark of the Covenant. And even in the midst of all that, the guy's like, it's just not cutting it. There, there's, there's, why do I still feel, uh, why do I still feel so dirty? Why does it feel like I'm not, I'm not clean? And so it's right for Philip to jump up into the chariot and to open up the scriptures to this guy and not in a manipulative way, but simply walks him through. Uh, These are pointing to Jesus Christ who has come uh, and has dwelt among us and has died for you and has been raised from the dead for you so that you uh, might live. And like that, I mean, he's ready to go, right? Okay, I need to get baptized. And uh, he goes on his way rejoicing. I imagine the chariot went just a little bit faster uh, on, on the way home uh, as he comes back to Ethiopia. And he says, I, it worked. Jerusalem was great. Jerusalem was not great. But there I was in the middle of the desert. And this guy sort of shows up and then uh, like gets star tracked out. You know, as, as he goes. Now, I mean, when, when let's just stop there. Because um, I know this is one of those things where even when I read it, I'm just thinking, I wish Luke had left that out, right? I just wish Luke, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a product of the Enlightenment, and, uh, and I believe in rational thought, and stuff doesn't happen like this. And yet, what you find is that God, uh, especially in the early church, and there are moments in the life of the church where God basically suspends all rules of nature for the sake of the church. He goes out of his way to do those things which are unbelievable in order to show who he is and to draw people to faith uh, in him. Uh, now, in the day and age that we live in, uh, we're much more skeptical uh, of all of this stuff, but I'm always struck by the stories that I hear uh, from missionaries in far-off places that talk about crazy things happening. And I mean real, like crazy with a K, like just real crazy, and uh, crazy things happening, and, um, and, and, and God manifesting himself in, in a very powerful way, whether it's um, I mean, even in the midst of the Ebola crisis, one of the things that they were talking about were there are a couple people who were in the coffin and ready to be raised in the dead, and all of a sudden they hear, uh-huh. um, right, people being uh, uh, raised. Man, talk about nightmares, terrible thing. But um, people being uh, raised from the dead in which science just says, we don't have an answer for this, right? This is outside the scope of what normally and rightly happens, but God has intervened in such a crazy way uh, that this is what's going on. And it may be that God has intervened in your life in such a way that, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite jokes about the guy who pulls into the parking lot on Black Friday and can't find a spot. And he says, Lord, please provide a spot for me. And at just that moment, someone pulls out close to the store and he says, "Never mind, Lord. And he pulls in. Uh, I feel like we live in, uh, I mean, how often, I, I mean, where we're praying to God for a miracle, especially as it pertains to our loved ones concerning a health issue, and, um, and it happens, and we're, we're, we're grateful for the Lord, but there's always a part of us that wants to attribute it towards something, you know, we still want the answer be- behind it, like, okay, why did they get better, or what's going on, and then we kind of go on, on, our, on our merry way. I've told you uh, about my own story of, um, Lauren was six months, seven months, seven months pregnant with our first child. And, uh, I was not, uh, I was in my twenties and I, I was diagnosed with melanoma and it was a real quick thing. And it wasn't, I mean, I, I mean, of course, Lauren being pregnant, that pregnant and our first child, of course, she's thinking, 
great, you're going to die. It's going to metastasize, you're going to die, and you're going to leave me here. And, uh, you know, being in my 20s, I thought, no, no, until they put me in the operating room. I'm like, maybe. Um, and, uh, but, uh, you know, after that, I, I was fine, and, and I have been fine. Uh, but, I, you know, I thought I was so grateful to God and realized, you know, I'm a better steward of, of my body in some ways. Uh, but, you know, like, I mean, I'd go on the, to the beach and I'd look like the Gordon Fisherman. You know, I'd have a hat on and, you know, sunblock plus a shirt and all those things. And, uh, and then I'm the only person over six that has those swim shirts on at the beach. And, um, um, daddy, why is that man so white? Um, uh, so all those things. But you know what? It was like less than a year after I'd had all that stuff going on. Well, I was like out on the beach and like the shirt was off and I like nothing happened. Like nothing happened. Uh, it, almost like, you know, when you get a speeding ticket, you get a speeding ticket and for like two weeks, <laughs> 10 and two and you're driving the speed limit and then two weeks goes by and you're like, run, run, you know, you're, you're, you're back to, you're back to normal. And, um, uh, and that often happens in our lives in the way, uh, that, that God works. It's almost as if we, the miraculous, ironically, has become commonplace uh, in our lives, that even in the midst of the Western world in the United States in the 21st century, that even when God moves mightily and we say that it's a miracle, we're not actually in awe of the fact that God went way out of his way and even suspended what normally ought to happen according to law. And, uh, and, and there, there's mercy. Uh, there's mercy. And and, and that's, that's a remarkable thing. So we may not see necessarily the dead raised or people teleported, uh, teleported off, uh, and yet God is still just as living and active today as he was then and is still able to, uh, to do that. He's the God of the universe. Why, why couldn't he and why shouldn't, why shouldn't he? And so Philip gets taken away. After he is baptized, uh, after he's preached to this guy and he's baptized this guy, and then he actually does go to a pretty nice uh, place uh, up on the uh, Mediterranean coast until he goes up to Caesarea, which is actually very lovely. Um, and, uh, and, and then he just goes, goes about his way doing, uh, doing what he does. Now, if I were Philip, I, after doing that, I think... I deserve a vacation, right? That would be a good time to sort of rest on your laurels. And yet uh, Philip knows, one, that he had nothing to do with it. In fact, again, as I said, uh, Philip almost drops the ball on it not, by not pressing it home. Uh, two, uh, all, he, all he did was sort of show up and he was there and explained to uh, God used him to declare to this eunuch what God had done for him in Jesus Christ. And then he's teleported off. And so Philip has no choice but to simply be faithful to pour out the word like water and pray that God turns it into wine. And one of the problems that the church faces in this day and age is we have lost our faith and confidence that God can do that, that God can actually, in spite of the fact that it's happened in our own lives, it's a, it's a miracle that anybody becomes a Christian. Uh, and yet uh, we've seen it happen in our lives where God has drawn us to faith in Jesus Christ but there's a part of us that thinks, yeah, but not that person. 
Uh, They're either too far gone or whatever it might be, or it might not be that simple. When God is not saying your job is to get out there and convert people, to convince them, uh, to sort of, you know, bend their wills until they finally mold uh, to meld to God's will. But in fact, just to simply tell the story about what Jesus Christ has done and allow the person to respond by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, It's not complicated. And sometimes everybody, every once in a while, and this guy would be a good candidate, um, the implications of conversion. Like a lot of people hesitate to, to become Christians for a variety of Well, one, I, I know they're already, God's got them in their sights if they start saying things like, but if I become a Christian, fill in the blank. You know, then I'm like, okay, well, so clearly God's already working in your life because you're already grappling with the implications of becoming a Christian. Uh, but that's not necessarily how it works, but that's a story for another time. But the whole idea of people are, you know, I'm not going to sit there and argue with them, but if you're a Christian, you have to do this, this, and this. I'm not really worried about that because God has a way. Again, it was the Reformation's dangerous idea that God, the Holy Spirit, will actually get a hold of your life and will work that out for you. And where you're in error, the Holy Spirit is going to work on you. And it may be through the medium of the church to say, this is not a good thing. Uh, and I've heard some crazy things through the year where through the years where people will come to me and say, God has led me to fill in the blank. I'm like, no, he hasn't. I don't even have to pray about that one. He has not uh, led you uh, to do that. And it actually makes me very angry because I think they know that too. Um, I'm like, no, did you have a burrito for lunch? Like what? Like, I mean, you got to watch Chen Express, the General Sows at Chen Express. Careful with that. Uh, whatever it is, uh, you, you know, um, God has not led you uh, uh, to, to do that. And others require a lot more discernment. But in talking to somebody about... Uh, Jesus Christ, uh, there was not, you know, I mean, the the stories are are endless. The one that sticks out in my mind right now is Jesus encountering Zacchaeus uh, when he is is going through uh, Jericho and he sees Zacchaeus up in the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree for I'm going to your house uh, to eat tonight. And, uh, you know, he never says, okay, Zacchaeus, now it's time for you uh, like he doesn't say, you've got to get your life together. You've got to do this. Because he was a despicable character. He was a bad guy. Nobody liked him. He was notorious. So people thought, Jesus, that's not the guy that Jesus is supposed to associate with. And yet that is exactly where Jesus went. And Jesus didn't have this conversation with him about like, okay, Zacchaeus, you're swindling people by collecting taxes in, 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 a, in a nefarious way. And so we need to sort all that out. But in fact, what happened is that God's grace invaded his life. His heart was changed and he began to be convicted over things that were very commonplace to him. God didn't say, now you got to do this. Now you got to do this. Because of his changed heart, Zacchaeus went out and gave back all the money that he had stolen, plus some, plus some, over and above what he had swindled the people out of. Uh, so God, uh, the miraculous change of the heart, God is going to work that into uh, his life. And indeed, uh, this is the beginning of the Ethiopian church. All right, there, there's a strong uh, presence of the church, a very ancient church there in Ethiopia. Uh, and, and this is the beginnings of it, where this eunuch goes back and begins to preach the gospel. And you now have the Ethiopian Orthodox Church um, there uh, in that part of in that part of the world. So um, that's the crazy story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And if it's brought up some questions, 
Let us ask them. Um, wasn't it kind of unusual that this guy would be running around with a set of scrolls outside the temple or synagogue? It would be, but there's a... Um, I mean, they were available. They were available, uh, and uh, this guy being of, of stature uh, in his own kingdom, if anybody would have them, it would be a guy like this. Yeah, it was not... I mean, there weren't... You know, it wasn't like you had the Jewish Gideons uh, who, were, who were going around and putting scrolls in, in uh, the inn in Bethlehem. Uh, but um, So it, it was very, very unusual. I do want to say, I can't believe people aren't asking this question. But anyway, um, I, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I'm not kidding. I do pray for you, but not about this. But uh, one of the things that, that I would say about this passage is uh, this, gospel, this passage screams that Jesus is for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. I mean, can you think of a crazier category of person than, um, hi, I'm the secretary of treasurer, treasury in the Ethiopian kingdom. I'm black and I'm a eunuch. Right? That's a crazy passport uh, to life, and, uh, and yet God has, uh, God's transformed uh, this, this guy's life, and it really uh, is, is emblematic of the fact that, that the, the doors of, of uh, God's grace are, are thrown open wide, and nobody is, is beyond uh, the reach of... Um, I mean, it would be... I mean, if, if, if somebody like this walked into any church... Um, you would, you, we would all be uh, sort of taken aback, uh, I think. And yet, this is who God uses to establish the Ethiopian church. I guess I'm struck like Stephen and Paul have to go over the whole story again. It's, the story hasn't changed. The good news has always been there, but we need someone to interpret it for us. Uh, whether that's a person or the Holy, Spirit, Holy yeah. Spirit. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's another, I mean, very rarely, I mean, talk about being served up something on a gold gold platter, you know. There's a guy reading a Bible in, in a chariot who's asking questions. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, today, uh, I mean, people are still asking a ton of questions uh, about life and, you know, am I going to be okay, as, as Craig asked it in his sermon. Uh, but also, uh, I don't know. I, I still feel like that there are a lot of people searching uh, for answers in, in life uh, and, and, and meaning. Uh, and we see that through everything from, um, you know, midlife crises to, you know, someone who's well-established in their business uh, and has a lovely, wonderful family and yet still feels like they're right on the edge, that they're right on the edge. All right. All right, let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you that you go out of your way to intervene in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray that we would put our hope and trust in you, whether there is confusion that your Holy Spirit would enter in, and indeed we would know what something means, that the truth would become so clear in our hearts and our minds uh, that uh, we might be able to discern it. And, Lord, give us a boldness not rooted in our own gifts but in uh, what you have done for us and sharing the gospel with other people, and not in a uh, triumphalist or militaristic way, but, Lord, simply to share uh, that salvation is found in Jesus Christ, and uh, he is the answer uh, for the Ethiopian eunuch struggling in his chariot through Gaza, 
but also uh, to the housewife or the businessman or the dad who stays at home or whoever it might be, Lord, that uh, God loves them and heaven's gates are thrown open wide in Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen.